Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Grounded. We are a student-run podcast and we hope to help other students increase their mental health literacy and learn employment and academic skills to reduce some of the major stresses in students' lives. So I'm Lucy. And I'm Basma. Today we're going to be talking about eating disorders. So around Christmas and New Year, obviously a lot of people are having gatherings with family, you know, sharing meals with their family and things like that. And for many reasons, this can be a really stressful time for people with eating disorders, whether it's because they have to be around food, which may make them uncomfortable, or because they may be having people comment on their appearance or their body. It can obviously be a really stressful time. So going into the holiday season, we are talking about eating disorders so that we can kind of shed some light on how to cope as someone who is struggling and also how to be sensitive as a family member or friend around someone who is dealing with an eating disorder. So before we start, we would like to give a quick trigger warning. Our podcasts do cover various mental health topics and it may be sensitive to some viewers at times. In this one, we do talk about body image, dieting, and disordered eating behaviors. So feel free to pause or exit from the podcast whenever you want to. And in case you need any help or support, please find the resources we have linked in the description boxes. So today we have Sophie Smith, who is a former UNSW student. She's also a guest writer for Body Matters Australasia and an eating disorders advocate. So welcome to the podcast, Sophie. Um, How are you? What have you been up to? I'm good, thanks. Um, So currently I'm actually in Perth for the holidays. So usually I live in Sydney during like the uni year, but I usually come home because Perth is where my parents live and where I grew up. So I'm here at the moment, currently in quarantine in my parents' house, which honestly is going okay. Like I haven't had to do this yet during this crazy year. Obviously a lot of people have had their quarantine experience, but this is my first time, but um, it's a pretty big house and it's nice weather and everything. So I think I'm doing okay. It's starting to feel a little weird that we can't go outside, but um, overall doing well at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I guess so. the next question for you is, can you tell us a bit about yourself a little bit more? So for example, what did you do at uni or what are you up to now? Yeah. Um, thanks, Lucy. So I just graduated in May from my UNSW undergrad degree. So I started in 2016. Um, This was my fifth year. And I did a double degree in science and arts, where I was majoring in international relations and neuroscience, which were just two kind of areas that I was super interested in. Um, And then once I graduated, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was thinking about maybe doing a master's. So Um, I got into a master's in social work program. So I've just done my first um, semester of that. So it's two years. So another three semesters and I'll be fully kind of qualified, I guess, as a social worker, which is a little daunting. But um, yeah, it really kind of aligns with my interest in social justice, a lot of which comes from my eating disorder advocacy work, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, yeah, I think I've always been quite interested in human rights and that kind of thing from a relatively young age um particularly since I was maybe like 15 16 so yeah at the moment I'm just doing my social work degree um obviously haven't got around to doing much other stuff this year because it's been you know everything's been quite um shut and like limited opportunities but I've got um into doing quite a lot of eating disorder advocacy this year um which is really exciting so I'm hoping to kind of continue that into the future as well Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's really cool. I guess building on from that, what drives your passion for eating disorder advocacy? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, 
I I hadn't eaten soda from when I, from when I was about 15 to 19 and have been in recovery for about three years now. Consider myself pretty much fully recovered. And I guess going through that experience, I guess a lot of people in recovery, it's not just recovering from a mental illness. It's also a lot of people discover about, you know, they discover a lot of stuff about themselves and sort of reclaim their identity. And with that, I just, I couldn't really unlearn a lot of the things I learned about how much stigma there is around eating disorders and a lot of the kind of beliefs that I believed for so long that really drive my eating disorder I kind of all turned out to be quite false. And so I just, I couldn't really just sit there and do nothing about that kind of thing. Um, I've always been quite a passionate person, I guess. So yeah, once I kind of had all this knowledge about all the misconceptions around eating disorders and all this false information about like the association between like weight and health and everything, I just, yeah, I, I didn't just want to sit around. I kind of just felt really compelled to spread awareness I guess about that and about eating disorders specifically and I think you've done a good job at destigmatizing a lot of mental illnesses so far like especially things like anxiety and depression but I think eating disorders still have a lot of stigma associated with them which yeah I really think um, destigmatizing them will help people really just feel less alone and you know seek recovery more and the more people like me showing that it is possible I think a lot of the time people don't believe that it's possible to recover. So I think having voices out there like myself showing that it, it is possible, it is hard, but it is possible, um, I think will help people. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where my passion comes from. That's actually a really great place to start as well, I think, like leading into more of our more detailed questions. We do want to start off by kind of talking about eating disorders and what they are, because kind of as you addressed like many mental illnesses there's a lot of stigma or misinformation involved in the conversation around what they are who has them what they look like things like that so um maybe you can tell us what you think are the main conceptions about eating disorders and then could you kind of debunk those as well like what's the actual truth yeah for sure I think there's so many misconceptions honestly which really doesn't help one of the number one things is honestly just that eating disorders are all about appearance and you can tell if someone has an eating disorder from what they look like and how much they weigh and that's just not true like at all um people of all shapes and sizes can have an eating disorder and it's not necessarily um, people who are thinner will have anorexia and people who are in a larger body will have something like bulimia or binge eating disorder it can be like literally any size size or shape can have any eating disorder and I think that is something that people really don't know um and can make people feel really invalidated. So for me, for instance, I had a restrictive eating disorder, but I was never really like underweight by BMI standards, which is BMI is problematic in a whole other way. And so it really made me feel like I can't have an eating disorder. I'm not underweight. And that's just, yeah, it really stopped me honestly from recognizing there was something wrong for a long time. And so if people really knew that honestly, you can have an eating disorder at any kind of shape they don't have a look like I think that's one thing we hear you know like oh you don't look like you have an eating disorder but they don't have a look like you literally can't say that they're actually a mental illness and the fact that they have physical um kind of manifestations or side effects makes people think that you know they they kind of have a a look about them but they they don't it's just like any other mental illness like anxiety they don't have a specific look like you can look like anything and there's a really diverse range of experiences you know often they're associated with teenage kind of white female identifying people and again that's just not true people of all different genders all different sexualities all different ages even like you don't have to be young you can be you know in your 40s 50s and having an eating disorder 
yeah, pretty much anyone in society can have one, which I think is a massive misconception. I think another one is that they are kind of just all about food. And so how I would debunk that is that eating disorders, like they are about food, but they're also not about food. So for instance, for me, my eating disorder, obviously they often kind of manifest in behaviors around food and exercise, like restricting or binge eating or, you know, cutting out food groups or things like that. But um, it's it's sort of, it's about food in that that's how it manifests. But for me, for instance, it came from control and needing to have control over, over, over everything because that's kind of how my, what my personality is like. Um, and often they result from trauma, for instance. It's really common for people to have um, a traumatic experience and then use an eating disorder as a way of coping. So often they're actually just an unhealthy coping mechanism. And yes, they use food maybe to cope with emotions but it's not actually about the food itself like the food is just kind of you know the outward kind of manifestation like how it just sort of what the behaviors are but um it doesn't really start with food like it starts with more the psychological side of things like your personality or yeah having something traumatic happen to you or yeah multiple other things but it's not all about the food and eating like I think people think it is all about the food and eating but it's really not. That's just kind of, you know, how people see it. They are called eating disorders in the end. But really inside, if you dig deeper, they're really not about food or eating at all. Another one is people often don't feel like they're sick enough to recover. Like we hear this a lot um, in kind of recovery communities like, oh, I don't feel sick enough. Or there's a lot of comparison between people with eating disorders. Like they can be very competitive mental illnesses, which is really hard but um often yeah people will feel like oh I'm not sick enough to recover like I have to be I have to be really really thin or I have to be you know like it has to be this bad in order for it to be bad enough for me to recover but really as soon as your disordered eating behaviors start impacting on your life in any negative way I'd say that's that's definitely enough to want to recover because as long as it's impacting on your life in a way that's negative that's maybe you know preventing you preventing you from maybe having meals out or making you kind of socially isolated or just making you feel bad about yourself um that's that's enough in itself to want to recover so I think yeah that's a massive misconception it's like you have to be so ill and have all these physical complications but really you don't and the longer you leave it to recover honestly the more likely you are to get potentially even permanent side effects so I think seeking recovery as early as possible even if you feel like maybe it's not that bad is definitely the best option if if you want to recover. I think it's really interesting that you touch on the fact that we focus so much on the physical symptoms and sometimes disregard the psychological aspect as well. So I guess the next question for you is more based on what we're going into. So as we all know, it's the holiday season soon. And it, this time can be a very stressful period for people with eating disorders. Um, what do you think are the main things that family and friends should be aware of? I think, yeah, so the holiday season can be really difficult, actually. In, in my recovery, I started recovering in a November and was going straight into a holiday season really early in recovery and was like not prepared for it. But I think family need to realize that, number one, it is a stressful time for people with eating disorders, like just knowing that and being aware of that is really essential. And I think one of the reasons for that is because of the focus on food. Like if we had a holiday that just had no special foods associated with it, then that wouldn't be such a problem. But a lot of it also comes from not just the food, but often there's a change in routine around the holiday season. So people might be going home and not being in their sort of usual location and changes often in in anything and the environment are difficult for people with eating disorders often because 
like I said, we're often these kind of people that need to have a lot of control. And one of the things we're controlling is food. And so if we're sort of taken out of our comfort zone, it can be really difficult and stressful. So I think people need to be aware of that. Another thing that I think um, I'd like to mention is that often people with eating disorders have what we call fear foods. So that's like the foods that they essentially are scared of. So often people with eating disorders have a very black and white thinking. And so that pertains to food in that they'll label foods as good and bad. So, you know, for instance, for me, it was like good foods were, you know, things that were quote unquote clean, you know, clean eating foods. Whereas, you know, foods that had a lot of sugar or sweet foods or desserts, those kinds of things were kind of off limits and were fear foods to me, honestly, things that I was quite scared of eating because I literally thought something bad was going to happen to me. And so I think people need to be aware of the fact that often these fear foods are the kinds of Christmas foods, right? So things like Christmas desserts and cakes and uh, mince pies and gingerbread biscuits and all those kinds of things that now that I'm recovered, I love having those foods at Christmas. But initially, it was really scary to think that those were the foods that were going to be around. And it would be hard to deal with the fact that other people were eating them and I couldn't because Um, often there'd be an inner dialogue where I'd be like oh I really want to eat that but then my eating disorder voice would go oh no you can't eat that if you have that you're gonna have to exercise more look how many calories it has in it that kind of thing and so just being aware that it is tricky to be around those foods because they can be triggering and can make people feel I guess bad about themselves in a way that they're not able to have them or they're scared of them and potentially also jealous that other family members are able to eat them so stress-free like I know I definitely often thought you know, had thoughts of like, oh, how are you so okay about that? Like, how are you okay with eating all these foods? Like, for me, that would be a nightmare. Like, I would be literally like in a bowl, like <laughs> crippled with anxiety if I ate all that. Um, and so I think that's definitely another major one, definitely, um, that people need to be aware of. So then I guess like being aware is one thing, but then also kind of knowing how to react and how to respond is kind of maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, what do you think are like the top tips? for how family and friends can be sensitive around people with eating disorders regarding like discussions of food, personal body image, other people's appearance, things like that. Yeah, I think, honestly, um, it really depends on how kind of diet culture your family is. So luckily for me, my family was, you know, like we were literally all swimming in diet culture, which is, you know, the system of beliefs that praises people in a smaller body and associates, you know, weight with health and all that kind of stuff. Um, my family was obviously a bit like that, but they were pretty supportive. So if you're lucky to have a family that's pretty supportive, then it definitely is easier. But I think any family should just be aware that often there's just topics that they should just avoid. Like it can be hard if there are topics that they're so used to bringing up, talking about people's appearance and, oh, look, you look like you've lost weight or anything like that. But um, if they really want to be supportive of people, you know, loved ones with eating disorders, then they need to recognize that, saying those kinds of things is really triggering and just avoiding things like any mention of their physical appearance anything even if it's positive because often um, if you say something like you look so healthy to someone with an eating disorder they'll interpret that like oh no I've gained weight oh god I've got to lose that weight again basically because they associate that's just the association that they'll make in their head so even comments that um, you might think are harmless and often People don't have a, an ill intention when they say these things. Um, they think they're being helpful, you know, like saying this stuff like, oh, you look so healthy. But to someone with an eating disorder, it'll be taken a very different way, perhaps to how it's intended. So I think just being really careful around any comments around food, anything about talking about calories or what's in food or stuff about like 
being naughty, guilty, guilty around food. And they talk about like having to go to the gym a lot to work off, you know, weight gain over the holiday season or anything about just, yeah, foods being unhealthy as well. Yeah, just talk around exercise or morality around these topics. So I'm being good for exercising or I'm bad because I didn't exercise today or, or look, I'm so good. I didn't have X food, you know, X kind of sweet, sugary food today. Anything like that. I think people just need to avoid talking about life stuff rather than like food and appearance related things will really help people with eating disorders because yeah, those topics can just be difficult to talk about and can trigger like really uncomfortable emotions in people with eating disorders. Okay, so with all that being said, are there any signs that people should, I guess, potentially watch out for at gatherings, Um, in particular if they have concerns about someone having an eating disorder? At gatherings, I think one of the main things is obviously like not eating. So if someone's just not eating anything, like that would be potentially a red flag, like especially if it is an event that involves food and most people are eating the food. So if it's like, you know, canapes or something like that, obviously it's not necessarily a red flag. They could, they could genuinely be just not hungry. Like that's completely okay, but it might be a sign if you're worried about someone. Them seem, a person seeming quite like mentally preoccupied, I'd say would potentially be a warning sign because with like eating disorders, there's often a lot of internal dialogue going on in your head. And the eating disorder often is just like, taking up a lot of your brain space basically in your mental capacity so someone who seems like they're maybe not quite there you know who's not fully present often eating disorders can be so kind of yeah preoccupying that you're not really able to enjoy yourself you're not really even there like I know for me often I actually don't have a lot of memories from when I had an eating disorder because I didn't have the like capacity to even remember stuff so yeah someone seems a little spaced out I guess or not really in the zone not really there that might be a sign obvious things like um potentially going to the bathroom a lot um obviously would be a potential red flag for purging for someone maybe with bulimia or an eating disorder where purging is a behavior for them so I guess being aware of that again they might just need the bathroom and that's totally fine but being aware of it it is if it is happening a lot and I think social isolation in general is, is a big one. So, you know, standing in the corner by themselves, not really interacting with people because they might, yeah, they might be scared about talking to people because they might bring up topics that they don't want to talk about or just in general, eating disorders can be very isolating experiences because it can feel like nobody understands, you know, like nobody understands what you're going through and everyone else is having a, you know, fun, merry time at some kind of Christmas function and you're there totally preoccupied with thinking about the food and eating and everything so yeah I'd say those are definitely some of the things that people could potentially be looking out for and again they're not all definitely signs of an eating disorder they all could be explained by multiple things but if you have concerns then definitely those would be things to look out for. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Again, considering kind of like diet culture and things like that, you kind of have to know like where to draw the line and kind of recognize when it's a bit more serious. Kind of building on that, and you did touch on diet culture earlier. Obviously, we have like the body positive movement kind of undoing a lot of that or working to undo a lot of that. But social media and media in general are really notorious for promoting unhealthy and unsustainable lifestyles and diets. Um, Do you have any tips on managing body image expectations and the moralizing aspect of food that's really prevalent in media, given like how saturated that is in media today? Yeah, I honestly think... For me, one of the most helpful things in my recovery was just 
like having no exposure to that kind of thing like gradually I didn't just go cold turkey and delete like my Instagram or anything but unfollowing anyone who makes you feel bad about yourself like even if it's like one of your friends like your mental health honestly has to come before everything basically because that's like the number one thing for taking care of yourself so there are a lot of accounts especially on Instagram I think Instagram is probably the I mean, it's one of the only ones I have, but it's one of the most visual, obviously, um, social media platforms. And so because of that, it can sort of go either way. It can either be really unhelpful or it can actually be pretty helpful if you curate it in the right way. So for me, like I only follow people who are either in larger bodies or I follow a diverse range of bodies. Um, I don't follow anyone who's just posting, you know, like selfies of themselves in a thin body because that's just not helpful for me. So I'd say... Um, taking a look at your the accounts that you follow and just maybe looking through their past couple of posts and just thinking when I look at this photo and the caption maybe isn't what's going on in my head like is it making me feel inferior is it making me feel like I need to do something to attain that standard is it just driving my eating disorder or is it helpful like is it a mental health account that's you know posting helpful things about you know putting yourself first and self-care and those kinds of topics so yeah it is it is difficult because sometimes people try and sort of straddle the line, I guess, between being body positive and still posting like their own thin body and they have a lot of thin privilege. And so you're like, oh, that's a little <laughs> that's a little tricky. But honestly, for me, I only follow yeah accounts that just don't push damaging messages onto me. And that honestly has helped a lot because what you're exposed to really does affect how you feel about yourself. Because if I was still looking at those kinds of images of people in bikinis every day I might still even you know not I wouldn't probably wouldn't even be recovered because I'd probably still think I need to look like that when really that's like naturally what about five percent of the population would look like and you don't know those people probably don't even naturally look like that they probably might have some disordered eating behaviors or are doing harmful things or you know a lot of the photos are filtered or face-tuned or anything stuff like that yeah I think curating your Instagram is a big one and I think Another thing is that when you are exposed to those kinds of images, just reminding yourself that it doesn't have to mean anything. Like just because someone posts, you know, a a gym selfie, for instance, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I need to go to the gym now. Like it doesn't, you don't have to attach any meaning to it. Like you can just remind yourself that this is my life. That's their life. I actually have no idea about their life. Like what you see on Instagram is pretty much often a highlight reel. Like even myself, I don't post, you know, the days when I'm, having a really bad body image day like I just post nice things yeah just recognizing that you know people aren't showing when they're having a tough time and even people in say a you know the body the ideal body or the beauty standard who have attained that they probably don't even feel great about themselves all the time you know people can have poor body image just because you say lose weight or in a thinner body doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have great body image like I know for me even when I did supposedly attain what I wanted I didn't mean I felt great about myself all the time it was honestly just worse because I kept pushing the bar lower. So yeah, I think just realizing that this is your life, reminding yourself of what you value, like when you're 80, do you want to remember that you've got, you know, so many likes on an Instagram post? Like probably not. Think about when you're 80, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered for having abs, like having a six pack? Or do you want to be remembered for being a great friend or being, you know, the person who was really generous or really passionate about something or worked really hard? And so for me, so much of my identity is just not connected to what I look like anymore and that takes time to get to that place but just to think about yeah like 
yeah, I might not love the way my body looks all the time, but there's so many other parts of me that are valuable um, and that people love me for that and they don't love me for what I look like. Like I could probably look like anything and they would still love me. Um, and so that's just a really helpful mindset to have. It's a little morbid, but think about maybe even your funeral and your eulogy and what someone's going to write about you. And I bet they're not going to write, oh, she had perfect skin and was a size X. You know, like they're not going to write that about you. They're going to write, she was a great friend or, you know, she was really generous and friendly and, you know, she always, you know, listened to me or was really supportive of me. So, yeah, just thinking about those things. And social media is very... (laughs) divorced from that kind of mindset a lot of the time it's all about just image 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 um but that doesn't have to be your focus like you you can choose what your focus is so yeah I hope that was helpful (laughs) oh that was that was super helpful thank you for all those tips and I really like how you um mentioned that we can actually tailor and curate our own feeds rather than just simply like deleting all social media I think that was quite nice and I, I do fully agree with what you said um, in regards to values and really emphasizing who you are as a person rather than your physical appearance. I think that's definitely something that everyone um, can take out of that. So thank you very much. Um, I guess moving back uh, to the misconceptions surrounding eating, eating disorders, um, there is one that we should also mention, and that's the one that eating disorders are a woman's issue. And as a result of that, we don't really see many men reaching out for help or treatment. Um, and I guess our question is, how can we really foster a safer and more affirming environment for men to feel more comfortable about opening up or potentially seeking treatment? Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up, Lucy. Unfortunately, there is a massive stereotype that they are a women's issue. And because of that, men don't seek help because they think I can't have an eating disorder because it's only a woman's issue. But actually, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think actually roughly about a quarter to a third of eating disorders actually affect men. But we don't even have great statistics around it because men often don't report that they're suffering from an eating disorder. So I think one of the things is having men in campaigns around awareness is a massive thing. So the Butterfly Foundation does a really good job there, the National Eating Disorder Charity. And they do a really good job of having a diverse range of people kind of in their awareness campaigns. And so just, yeah, men seeing other men going through an eating disorder experience is very powerful because it's, you know, representation is really important. If you don't see yourself represented in the experience of an eating disorder, then you're probably, you probably are going to feel quite invalidated or feel that you don't, you know, it is impossible to have an eating disorder. And I think just in general, the conversation around mental health with men definitely needs to progress a little bit more like we know men generally are you know kind of toxic masculinity um doesn't help in men kind of just generally opening up about their mental health like that definitely is starting to change but um I think we generally just need to work on a culture that just doesn't um doesn't prevent men from or or make them feel weak for speaking about um their emotions or their mental health or being vulnerable with other men and I think that that does start with just men in general just opening up more um and being more vulnerable with each other and yeah I think it is difficult like I'm not a man myself so I can't speak about that but I imagine having say your friends talk about their own mental health if they disclose something to you then that does make it easier for you to open up yourself and I think for men as well like there is, um, we do need to acknowledge that there is a bit of a difference in 
eating disorders. Not not a massive difference, but the body ideal for men is is quite different to women. Like it is more athletic and muscular, and so men might be engaging in more in, in different, slightly different behaviors to women because their ideal is quite different to ours. But any gender, in fact, um, transgender individuals, so trans men, for example, often have high rates of eating disorders as well. Like I won't get into that massively, but um, yeah, people who don't even fit the gender binary often have um, body image or eating disorder struggles because they're really, you know, engaging in some disorder behaviors to try and attain their um, gender identity. So yeah, like there's, there's issues there as well. But I think for men, generally the visibility issue, I think is the main thing that we can kind of hope for at the moment. It's really interesting. I think like around mental health in general, there's probably a lot of like emphasis placed on women for whatever reason. Um, And we need to kind of work on broadening like our perspective of who can experience mental illness. Generally, I guess for anyone experiencing an eating disorder, it would be important for them to kind of make sure that they're engaging in safe and healthy behavior, especially as you said, they're eating things that maybe they're not used to, or they're kind of feeling out of their routine. How can they make sure that they're still being safe and healthy without kind of triggering themselves or pushing themselves too much? I've got a few tips. So if you are on a meal plan, so a meal plan is basically often early in recovery. If you see a dietitian, they'll give you a meal plan, which will basically help regulate your eating, where you'll have to kind of, um, you know, eat three main meals maybe and two to three snacks in between that so you're just eating regularly you're eating enough and that's like kind of often a a first step or an early step in recovery and so if you are on a meal plan I'd say try and continue your meal plan like you might not have access to all the foods or all the meals potentially that you kind of were previously eating because often it's kind of quite a scheduled meal plan where it'll be like you know breakfast is a specific thing lunch is maybe like one or two options and then dinner But um, if you can, try and follow your meal plan as much as possible because that regularity really helps. Obviously, like, it's it's easier said than done, you know. Like, I know when I first started my meal plan, I was like, I don't need to eat this much. Like, I'm just going to gain all this weight. But um, really, like, it really is an important step in recovery because your body has been basically not receiving regular nourishment, like, for however many years during your eating disorder. And so having that regular food intake is really important to just help tell your body there is enough food you're fine and so yeah I say continue on your meal plan if that's possible if you're more in the stage where you're moving into what we call intuitive eating which is basically how everyone's relationship with food should be but often isn't because of diet culture again just try and implement as much intuitive eating as possible so often that means just having a variety of foods available to you and that really helps deal with the scarcity mindset. So the scarcity mindset basically is something where you just feel like there's not enough food or you kind of make excuses like there's not a particular food I want, so I just won't eat anything. And often, yeah, that that really doesn't help people with eating disorders. So for me, I know in my recovery, um, I just needed to have a lot of options of food around in the house because I was starting to get more in touch with my hunger and fullness signals. And I was trying to match that to what I actually wanted to eat. Like I wanted to eat, not not should eat, which is a massive thing that used to drive my eating. So if you can try and do that, um, if you are working on intuitive eating, then I'd say that's kind of ideal. Often like post meal times are difficult for people with eating disorders, um, especially if say you're on a meal plan and you kind of have to eat a certain amount and often your stomach just, especially if you've had a restrictive eating disorder, isn't really prepared for that much food if you have been restricting so often if people eat what for most people would be a normal amount 
but if you have a restrictive eating disorder it might be a big amount for you then they'll feel really uncomfortable after a meal and they'll feel really full and that sensation can be quite triggering and especially if someone say has bulimia it might trigger like an intention or a desire to purge so I'd say things like distraction after a meal can be really helpful so just trying to distract yourself from those uncomfortable sensations is not something you'd want to be doing like when you're further on in recovery but initially it can just be helpful just to not think about it so that could be you know reading a book after a meal or watching an episode of tv or just talking with someone taking a phone call um, video games are actually really good for people with eating disorders because they're very immersive uh, or you can maybe like sip some herbal tea that often that helps or put like a it's summer but if you can put like a warm kind of heat pack like on your stomach that kind of thing can help as well so just yeah dealing with that post mealtime anxiety can be difficult but I think if people can get through that then that's really helpful I think another thing is also just knowing and reminding yourself that you can also say no to food like if it's an excuse for restricting then that's not as great but you can like say no if someone even if they you know spend hours preparing whatever if you really are full and you just you know I'll try to work on intuitive eating where you're not trying to eat past comfortable fullness then either way you can you can say no you can say no thank you I I'm fine thank you that looks great but um I don't actually want to have any of that or I don't want to have any more that's perfectly fine like you're being polite about it and I don't think there's any problem with that on the other hand at Christmas um it often is a time where people eat past comfortable fullness and that's okay like that's totally okay as well I think people with eating disorders especially myself I didn't have any concept that you could literally just eat for pleasure like I was like eating has to be only when you're full and when you need food but for your mental health eating for pleasure is great like if stuff tastes good that's amazing so if there's a food that you know maybe only around during Christmas or something that you really love and maybe you are getting full but you just want to have more then that's really fine as well and I think we need to normalize feeling full more like I don't know I think I had a perception that I was like oh feeling full is bad and you're just going to gain weight afterwards but no not necessarily you'll probably just be less hungry the next day and like that's just how your body works and how your appetite works so yeah if there's say one day where you just really want to eat something and you are kind of full but that's like 100% okay and this often is a time when that happens another one probably is um trying not to um compensate as well so again this is like easier said than done but um if you say have eaten fullness trying not to think that then you have to make up for it by eating eating less the next day like likely you probably will be less hungry but if your hunger and fullness signals haven't really come back into you know normal pattern yet not thinking oh now I need to go and you know eat less tomorrow or um, exercise a whole lot more or somehow compensate for it like yeah just trying to remind yourself that you you really don't have to do that like I never thought I would be able to like get to the point where I can say this but not exercising in a day is like 100% okay like 100% okay so um yeah just not not having to compensate afterwards Often it's really hard not to because like there's just immense anxiety and that's like the only way you can deal with it is by kind of compensating. But if you're kind of at a point in recovery where you can really try and challenge yourself not to compensate, then yeah, I'd say really try and challenge yourself. And if you have a support person who can be there with you to sit through the anxiety, maybe after a big meal or when you're thinking about maybe trying to compensate um, and just kind of have, you know, have them there to support you and kind of talk through it with you, then that also will really help. I really like how you mix that with like practical tips as well as like psychological ones, like focusing on internal signals. 
Um, so I think that was really cool. And I think you also touched on something really interesting and something that we should all focus on. I think you mentioned this before as well, but it's really that idea that you should maybe put yourself first, put your mental health first, especially, um, and don't feel bad if someone has like prepared a meal or something like that and you feel like obliged to eat it, um, even if you don't want to. You've written um, a really good piece for Body Matters about kind of tips for the holiday season. And then I noticed that one of them was setting boundaries. So obviously it might be necessary for people sort of to kind of let the people around them know about things that make them uncomfortable or are triggering. Um, so how can people with eating disorders kind of feel comfortable letting others know what their needs are and how can they do so while still being respectful of others and kind of allowing others to enjoy themselves and still kind of being polite. Yeah, I think um, boundaries are super important because like I said, what you're kind of exposed to really does affect your mindset and affect your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. And so if people around you are constantly talking about appearance and weight, it can just be really difficult. So setting boundaries and telling people, um, you know, like I'm working on trying to improve my relationship with food at the moment. So if we could please avoid talking about, you know, food or diets at the moment, that would be really helpful. Like you can definitely be super polite about it. Like it doesn't have to be getting into an argument with someone. Um, If someone does consistently violate those boundaries then feel free to just walk away from them. Like that's fine. Like um, it's okay to hold your friends at a bit of an arm's distance during recovery. If that's the best for your mental health, like you don't have to, um, yeah, you can put yourself first. Um, I think also if you really don't like confrontation, like me, like I don't feel that comfortable just going straight up to someone and saying, please don't talk about this. Um, you can maybe, if it's your friends or your family, you can maybe even write them a letter that often helps um, or send them an email before, just like, you know, group email, just, you know, setting some boundaries for the holidays or something like that. And you can just in there, if you don't feel comfortable talking face to face, you can just say, you know, a couple of tips in there, please avoid talking about this. Um, and yeah, if you don't like confrontation, that can be a little less anxiety inducing. And if they are your friends and your family, like, you know, they will take that on board. Like if if they really are people who want to support you and love you, then um, they really should be receptive to that because, you know, there might be a time where they're, where they're, str- when they're struggling in the future and they need your help. And so, you know, um, they would, if they're not receptive to, you know, you putting those boundaries in place, then I'd say you might want to reevaluate your relationship with them because, you know, if they're not respecting those boundaries, then that might be a red flag, that they're not someone who's going to be super supportive of you. Um, so yeah, so I think um, either talking in person to people or um, writing them a letter or maybe even just texting them or something like that um, can be really helpful. Um and just, yeah, just be polite about it. Be diplomatic. Just say, you know, just say, can we please not talk about this? Or, um, you know, just letting you know the holidays are really difficult for me. So if you could, you know, try and avoid these topics of conversation or, you know, if you could not comment on my appearance during this time, that would be really helpful. Or if you could just, you know, not comment on what I'm eating, how much I'm eating, um, any of that kind of thing, then, yeah, hopefully people will be receptive to that. And like I said, if they're not, then... Um, you have the right to, you know, to walk away from that relationship for the time being. Like it doesn't have to be permanent, but you can, you know, you can protect your mental health, which I think, yeah, should come first. A hundred percent. 
Um, I really like how you included some tips for non-confrontational people too, because um, me as well, I'm very, I'm very unconfrontational. So yeah, I will almost never speak out. So thank you so much. I'm actually going to take um, that in mind too. So I guess um, thank you so much for the tips. But before we wrap up, um, do you have any resources you'd like to share? I think you mentioned you had some really useful Instagram. Um, yeah, so got a lot of resources. I'll try and just mention a few of them because I don't want to overload people. But if you like podcasts like this one, um, my number one tip would be listen to the podcast called Food Psych. That is genuinely one of the things that helped me the most in recovery. Like it's funny to think about it that it probably helped more than my psychologist or my dietitian, but genuinely that podcast is amazing. It has guests on every week that talk about their experiences with food and body image and their relationship with food and some more social justice orientated topics like yeah intersectionality and things like that so would highly recommend starting to listen to that it really helped me the host of that podcast also has a book which is called anti-diet so that book is a really good book um for people in recovery and anyone generally because it really debunks diet culture and often a lot of the beliefs that drive eating disorders I know especially for me so stuff about like everyone who's at a high BMI but BMI range is automatically unhealthy like that's just not at all true and things like that so if you do want to maybe do some reading over the holidays then would recommend that book there's a number of other ones as well but I think that's a really good accessible starting point there's also obviously the butterfly foundation website and just generally the butterfly foundation like follow them everywhere they're the national charity for eating disorders follow them on instagram they have a helpline so i'd really recommend people who are struggling over the holiday season to get in touch with them via their helpline which i think is i'm not exactly sure what the hours are but it's almost 24 hour helpline they also have a web chat option so if you don't want to talk to someone on the phone you can chat online um, I know that's often a little easier for young people. So yeah, the Butterfly Foundation in general, their website has a whole lot of information on it. People's lived experience stories like my own. Um, if you want to just, you know, read up about other people's recoveries. There's also another website called Recovery Warriors, which I really looked at a lot during the early phase of my recovery. Um, and that has blog posts, a lot of good blog posts by people with lived experience of eating disorders. And I had a look on it just then and they have a lot of, you know, helpful tips and blog posts about the holiday season and so yeah I'd really recommend just having a look at that um in terms of Instagram accounts um I think one of the best ones for body image is iWay so that's kind of a global movement that was started by the actress um and activist Jamila Jamil yeah she started this movement called iWay which is basically all about undoing all kinds of things around beauty standards and diet culture and it also has um kind of progressive and social justice aligned topics so it has a lot of lgbt content and yeah it's just a really helpful account so if you want to follow that i'd really recommend it for anyone in terms of exercise if you're working on more having a kind of healthier intuitive relationship with exercise there's a woman called tally rise and um she has a lot of good stuff about like just moving for fun and not having to engage in really you know strenuous exercise or exercise you actually just don't enjoy but feel like you should do she also has a podcast you can listen to called the train happy podcast and yeah I just think she's a really um valuable voice out there just talking all about having a more healthy relationship with exercise in terms of more eating disorder content um there's a lot of really great dietitians and psychologists on Instagram who are kind of anti-diet culture health every size aligned um, one of my favorites is um, a woman called Jennifer Rowan, and she's a 
psychologist in America. And yeah, she has really helpful Instagram stories most of the time that just kind of talk about a lot of mental health things. And she has journal prompts often and one of her highlights. So if you're into journaling, if you have a kind of journaling habit, yeah, I think her account is also really helpful. Um, So yeah, those are just three of the many that you can look up. If you start following one of them, I'm sure they'll like recommend a whole bunch of others. Um, Just obviously be wary of who you're following. Like I said, like make sure they're content is genuinely helpful to you but in terms of myself I guess you can follow me on Twitter um I post about kind of eating sort of related stuff over there and um I'm currently writing blog posts for Body Matters which is a clinic in Sydney in sort of recovery kind of clinic and um yeah I post all my blog posts on my Twitter and yeah I'll kind of just retweet stuff that's like relevant to eating disorders and kind of um, anti-diet culture kind of stuff and I also have an episode on the Body Matters just uh, have a new podcast that came out um, started coming out like last week um, which is called Understanding Body Matters you can look it up on whatever your podcast platform is and if you're interested in hearing more about my recovery journey like more specifically about how I recovered and everything um, in a safe way obviously very untriggering discussion um I did a recovery talk for them a couple of months ago and it's being put on their podcast probably late December or early January so if you're interested in listening to that and just maybe getting some inspiration hearing from me about kind of you know uh, my journey through having an eating disorder and now being pretty much fully recovered then yeah you can feel free to have a listen to that as well yeah, thanks so much for that. They sound like really great resources and we'll definitely be linking them in the show notes as well to make sure that they're easy for everyone to access. And I guess that brings us to the end of our chat. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. It's been great to have you. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We were really lucky to be able to speak to Sophie because she is so knowledgeable about eating disorders and has also had her own lived experience. If you did enjoy today's episode, please follow or subscribe to our podcast channel and consider rating or leaving a review so you can support our podcast and help us continue to grow. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at GroundedUNSW to stay up to date with upcoming podcast episodes and to get your say on things like guests you'd like to hear from and questions you want answered. And if you'd like to contact us, our email is groundedunsw at gmail.com. Finally, if you or someone you know is having mental health difficulties, do not be afraid to seek help. There'll be links to some great resources in the show notes, as well as the resources that Sophie suggested, which you can reach out to if you need support. And with that being said, until next time, stay tuned and stay grounded.